Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. Are you hungry to advance your prophetic calling and step into your unique prophetic destiny? It's time to break the silence, stand boldly in dark places, and resound the truth across the nations. Join us at the School of the Prophets, a transformative four-and-a-half-day intensive training school. You will gain understanding in your prophetic calling, refine your gifting, and grow in confidence to spearhead cultural change. Register for this year's School of the Prophets, August 7th through the 11th, in person or online at Bethel.com forward slash events. God bless. Well, I'm going to pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, thank you for what you, you've done already. And all the baptisms, amazing. People giving their life to the Lord. People being changed into a new man, into a new woman. Lord, I pray today that there would be an anointing on me and on us as we interact, as we teach and prophesy and pray. And we pray for miracles just to break out in us and through us into the world. Amen. Um, I actually... You know, I've had this word on my life for the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight months when I've shared this so many times in in the morning. But I felt the Lord tell me to get back to the deeds that I did at first. So I spend a lot of time thinking about the deeds that I did at first, that we did at first. And we were doing an interview uh, Friday on um, Cultural Catalyst. It's a web, it's a you know, podcasts I do, webcasts really. And we were we have the School of the Prophets coming up August uh, 7th through the 11th, by the way. Love for you to come. That would be awesome for you to come. But we were interviewing, I was interviewing our the leaders, some of the leaders of our School of the Prophets. Um, and one of the questions that somebody asked or proposed uh, among the four of us in that dialogue was, what would you tell your younger self? And um, I don't remember if I asked the question or somebody did, but so the other three were talking about what would they tell, you know, what would you tell your younger self? And it was related to prophetic ministry. Like, what would you tell your younger self in the area of prophetic ministry? But as they were talking, I felt like the Lord said, what would the younger self tell you? And I began to weep uncontrollably. The younger self would tell me, take a risk. What do you have to lose? The younger self would tell me, go talk to that man on the plane. Stand up in the store and say what I tell you to say. The younger self would tell me that risk, that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And I just began to recount in my mind what my younger self would tell my older self because I'm not so sure that my older self knows a lot more than my younger self did. Or maybe it's the fact that I didn't know much that made me more bold. And, um, and I, I really feel like tonight for me is just a night of, you know, I want to teach a little, but I want to minister to people. And uh, I, I was really excited. Haley, this morning, she whispered in my ear, when she sat down, she goes, hey, I had a message, but I feel like I'm supposed to minister to people mostly. 
I'm like, hmm, I really feel like this is a big part of what we're doing. Not that we shouldn't teach, of course, or, you know, anything else that we do. I think it's you know, worship. It's all, it's all important. But sometimes the Lord emphasizes a certain, you know, certain ministry. So I want to talk about prophecy, but I just want to review some things that I feel like are important. And, you know, the challenge when, um, when you teach up here is that, you know, our voice is heard by 100,000 people and that group rotates. So, you know, what you like to do as a leader is build on what you taught in, you know, this year or last year, you know, you want to build. But oftentimes I feel like there's so many new people with us that we're teaching, you know, 11th grade and people haven't been to fifth grade, not because they're less than, just because they haven't been with us. I don't mean that they're uh, in any way below us. I just mean in the... Um, the evolution of our teaching, they haven't heard the basics that we teach. And so sometimes I, I notice that when we do Q&A sessions, even like online, we do Q&A a lot online with our online family. And people are asking questions about things that were answered like 20 years ago. I'm like, wow, we have so many new people with us. So I want to talk a little bit about prophecy. And my goal is to give some prophecies tonight and um, just move among the crowd. The Lord's given me a few things already and um, that's kind of what, you know, when we were in um, Weaverville, there was two men that dedicated their lives to um, come to Weaverville. You have to remember, this is a little church of, um, I mean, when Bill came, it was 40 people and it grew to nearly 300. And uh, there was a man named Dick Mills. Would you guys know, who, anybody know? Yeah, the older folks would know Dick Mills for sure. The, the elderly folks would know the, <laughs> the more seasoned people. It is impossible to not offend people in the culture that we live in. Um, Dick Mills would come every year to our, uh, you know, relatively little church, right? Compared to what Dick could speak. Dick spoke to thousands. He was one of the most, you know, um, prominent and, and famous speakers of the time. And yet he, I think a lot because of uh, Bill and Earl Johnson, we were able to have him every year. And then the other person who came all the time, twice a year was Dick Joyce. How many of you would know Dick Joyce? He passed away a few years ago. He, he was so faithful to us. He'd come twice a year and he wouldn't just speak to our church, but he also uh, spoke into our leadership. And Actually, I think we kind, of, we kind of saw Dick as a prophet to our church, like giving oversight to our church. And Bill, looked to, Bill and Benny looked to him for oversight. And uh, it, was, it was kind of fun because when, um, when they would come, well, we would be excited like, a, like I don't know, a, like a big conference. When they, like a month before, we'd be like, Dick, Dick Joyce is you know, 30 days from coming. And uh, Dick Mills is, you know, he'll be here in three months. And we were, we'd always get really excited about it. I, I, I'm going to tell you this little story to tell you how powerful prophecy and what part it played in our lives. Um, you guys would probably know Danny Silk, right? Well, Dan, when Danny Silk came, 
Well, I'll back up. I met Danny Sokis when he was 16 years old. He was doing drugs and, and uh, living with his girlfriend. And these are all the stories he tells. So there's nothing um, that he hasn't told publicly before. And I, 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 worked, I was managing um, a repair shop in a tire shop. And Danny was a 16-year-old kid breaking down tires. Definitely the furthest from saved. And we worked together for one year in the tire shop, and I plagued him every day. <laughs> like, hey, you need to know the Lord. And I mean, you know, I, I, I wore him out. <laughs> and our boss was a Christian too, so he was like pretty cornered. And then a, a, about a year later, I, I started my own business, and Danny and I kind of stayed connected just in that he would come into my service station, into my shop sometimes, and say hi. And when he was 22, he came into my service station one day and goes, hey, I want to do that thing. And I was like, what, what thing are you talking about? He goes, you know that thing? I said, no, I don't know what thing you're talking about. He said that thing where, you know, like you uh, ask Jesus into your life and you become like a Christian. I said, you want to become a Christian? He's like, yeah, that thing. I said, well, why don't you come to church on Sunday? And... Well, just, there'll be an altar call and you can just come to the front. He's like, okay. And um, so on Sunday, Danny came to church and as Bill always does at the end of his message, he gave an, an altar call and Danny came forward and received the Lord. And he had a radical conversion. But what I'm reminded of lately is very soon after that, I think it may have been the week after or a couple weeks, it was very close to right after he got saved. Um, Dick Mills, I'm sorry, Dick Joyce came to our church and he'd always teach and after his teaching, he would spend a good amount of time ministering to people. Well, he called Danny out of the audience and gave Danny this powerful prophetic word. It was like, you're going to be the next James Dobson. There's just like this amazing call in your life. Well, here's what's, Here's how important a prophetic culture is in my mind, why we work so hard to build it here. Our congregation did not know Danny. Like he ran with the drug guys. So literally, I don't think there was three people in our, our congregation was probably 150 people at the time. I don't think there was three people that knew Danny. So when he, got, when he received that prophetic word, nobody knew him past present. They all knew him future present. And he became our next pastor. You know why? Because people saw him not as he was, but as God saw him. Our entire congregation did not know that he was a drug addict or that he was living with his girlfriend or that he was living a life of really debauchery. Our whole congregation invited this young man into his destiny because all they knew is what God said about him. This is the power of prophetic culture. I think private prophecy is important. Like we get prophetic words all the time to one another. I think public prophecy is really powerful because uh, you know, I'll call it the Danny factor. Because we hear other people's prophecies. Maybe it's our friend, maybe it's our family. 
and we began to think about them differently. One of the most powerful quotes came from Ellison. Uh, her last name was Armadine at the time. She was in our second year of school ministry, second year we ever had school ministry. And she made this statement, I never forgot, I've, I think it's in three of my books. She said, I love to listen to other people's prophecies. I said, why do you like to listen to other people's prophecies? She said, so I treat them not as they are, but as God sees them, invite them into their purpose. And I feel like there's something about being a part of a family when you hear other people's prophecies and you begin to treat them, can I say future present? You begin to treat them as the Lord treats them. And there's something about familiarity that kind of does the opposite, right? I was thinking about how David, how Samuel goes to David's house. This is in 1 Samuel 14. And Samuel goes goes to David's house, to Jesse's house, uh, the father of David, because the Lord said, I have removed Saul from being king and I want you to go to Jesse's house and you're going to anoint a king. So he doesn't, uh, Samuel doesn't know the name of the new king. He just knows he's one of Jesse's house. He's one of Jesse's sons. And Jesse has eight sons. So Samuel gets to his house and basically says to, kind of secretly because, you know, when you're anointing a new king, but you have a king, doesn't really go very well. You kind of, kind of got to be a little secretive about it. So he, um, in fact, you know, the Lord tells, Saul says to, I mean, Samuel says to, to the Lord, I'm, I'm concerned that I'll, I'll be killed for this. And the Lord's like, well, just go do some offerings at Jesse's house and I'll give you a word. So he gets to Jesse's house, knowing he's going to anoint a king, and he tells Jesse, hey, line your sons up. I'm going to anoint a new king. And Jesse lines his sons up, and the first uh, son, the oldest son, Elib, he's head and shoulders. This, the Bible says, he's head and shoulders taller than everybody, and he looks really kingly. He looks like he ought to be a king. You know, you see people that look like they got the world by the tail. You know, like, they they should be, they, they look like they're, you know, I don't know, they're in GQ magazine or whatever. You know, it's like, they just look like a movie star. That, that's Elib. Elib looks like he ought to be a king. So Samuel begins to pour the anointing oil on Elib, or at least he goes to anoint him. And the Lord says, Samuel, you are not looking with my eyes. You're looking as man looks. Do not anoint Elib king. So Samuel you know, walks down the line and stands in front of each son and gets to the end of seven sons, which is all he knows that Jesse has, and says to Jesse, are these all your sons? He goes, no, I got one more. He's out in the field. He said, well, call him in. He calls David in, and as he's running, David's running to the home, to the house, Samuel looks out, and this is Samuel's recollection of what he saw. He said he was redheaded and ruddy. Uh, Interpretation, he don't look like a king. And the Lord said, anoint him king. Uh, uh, One last thing I want to say. David wrote this. David wrote, "In in sin, I was brought forth. Likely, David was... The illegitimate son of Jesse, probably why he didn't get invited. I want to point out that, why am I telling you this story? Because oftentimes when the Lord calls you out or your friend out, 
you're like, that can't be an accurate prophetic word. I know that guy. (laughs) And I want to point out, it's not a word of knowledge. It's prophecy. And I also want to point out that the Lord, the way the Lord chooses people isn't the way people choose people. If the Lord chooses people, we would never choose. I remember um, being right here on the stage. It was uh, one of the very first times I ever preached. It was on a Sunday night. And after I preached, uh, we used to go really long. Like Bill used to say, the anointing doesn't fall till after midnight. (laughs) It's a brilliant strategy. We're all here till after midnight. (laughs) It it was true. But now it's true that an anointing falls before midnight. Thank the Lord. Anyway, I'm just telling you stories. And so um, I got done preaching, and then I was, I was ministering to people like, for like half an hour, 40 minutes. And uh, the place was packed, and at the very last seat, back there actually where the camera is, um, the last guy called out, I said this young man was there, and I said, could you stand up? And he stood up. And I gave him this word, and, and I, I, I told him that, I, huh? I, I told him, uh, I forget now what I told him now. I saw, yeah, I said, I see you as, Bill's heard the story so many times, he knows it better than I do. I said, I see you as a holy man. And I gave him this word about being a holy man, like the Old Testament had holy men. And I said, I see you as a holy man. I gave him this whole word about being a holy man. It was quite a long word. And he was with a friend. Anyway, he, they left. I, I didn't talk to them or see them. And many years later, around, I think, eight years later, I was up front. We were just ministering to people after a service. And this guy comes up and says, do you remember me? I said, no, I don't. He said, eight years ago, you called me out of an audience on a Sunday night. I said, well, he said, you gave me a prophecy. I said, yeah. Sorry, I don't remember that. <laughs> he said, you called me a holy man. And I'm telling you, out of hundreds of prophecies I've given, I remember that. I said, I remember you were sitting all the way in the back. He said, I was sitting all the way in the back. He said, what you didn't know is I was a heroin addict. He said, I was a heroin addict since I was 13 years old. I was in and out of drug recoveries. I had never worked a day of my life. And he said, my two friends brought me. And he said, when you called me a holy man, he said, something came into my body. He said, it felt like electricity. And he said, I got instantly delivered from heroin. And he had a, a, a woman with him. And he said, and he said, what you don't know is, he said, I got instantly delivered from heroin. He said, I got a job. He said, and now I'm a contractor. And uh, he said, and, and I, I met this uh, woman. Um, he introduced her to me. And she sa- he said, I, 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 we, we got married a, a year ago. And I brought her forward like two years ago. And she had hepatitis, the kind of hepatitis that, that it's in, always in your blood, see? And she said, from drugs. She was a former drug addict. And you prayed for her. And you told her that she was healed and that they would find no hepatitis in her. Well, she went back to the doctor and they couldn't find that she'd ever had hepatitis. And they got married and they're, you know, living happily ever after from what I know. 
And I, I, just, I just love the way the Lord calls things that are not as though they are. I want to talk a little bit about what is prophecy. Prophecy is foretelling, I'm telling the future, and foretelling, I'm causing the future. Let me say that again. Prophecy isn't just foretelling. Prophecy is foretelling and foretelling. Foretelling means I'm causing the future. You remember Ezekiel's, the story of Ezekiel's bones? Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel goes down to a boneyard where there was a, a former battlefield with dry bones from a former soldiers who had passed. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, being smart, knows that if God asks you a question, it might be a different answer than you anticipated. And he says to the Lord, you know, Lord. <laughs> if the Lord asks you a stupid question, it's probably not a stupid question. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, listen to this carefully, prophesy to the bones. Now, I want to point out that he didn't say prophesy about the bones. He said prophesy to the bones. And here's a great example of progressive prophetic ministry. He prophesies to the bones and the bones stand up. Now, that had to be a weird moment. <laughs> because Ezekiel, he... he, um, he, he he illustrates the fact that when the bones stood up, he says that the bones were rattling, but they were still dead. And then the Lord said, prophesy to the sinews, then prophesy to the flesh. And finally, he says, now prophesy to the spirit. And when he prophesied to the spirit, those dead dry bones that had now had flesh on them became a mighty army. And I, I want to point out that Ezekiel was not just prophesying about bones. He was prophesying to the bones. He wasn't just foretelling. He was foretelling. Are you with me? So why is this important? Because oftentimes in a prophetic culture, there are a lot of new people here. There's, we have our online family. It's so beautiful. By the way, you know we have thousands of people. We have, bigger, we have 10 times larger online family than we have here. Let's just give that up for the Lord right now. So good. Why is it important? Well, because Jesus said, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, then you'll receive a prophet's reward. What is a prophet's reward? A prophet's reward is the ability to do what you couldn't do one second before you heard the prophecy. Now, if I called you out of the audience and I said, I see you as a nurse and you're a nurse, how many know that's a good word? <laughs> but it's actually not a prophecy because prophecy is always about the future. That's a word of knowledge. And what I'm getting at is that faith catalyzes prophecy. Do you remember that the children of Israel received the prophetic word from Moses, God through Moses? And, they, and God said, I'm going to take you into a promised land. And approximately 2 million people received that word, heard that word. God prophesied to 2 million people, you're going to go from Egypt to the promised land. Do you know how many of those people actually fulfilled the prophetic word? Two. Joshua and Caleb. Was it a bad prophetic word? No, Hebrews actually says that all those people died in the wilderness because they refused to believe. 
What I'm getting at is prophecy is catalyzed through faith. I've heard people say this, you know, I've been doing, we've been, you know, in this ministry for a long time. So, but I heard people say, you know, I've had 10 prophetic words and none of them have ever come to pass. I don't believe in prophecy. Well, no, the problem is you don't believe. I'm not saying that all those 10 prophecies were right. I'm pointing out if 10 of them, you've had 10 of them from different people and none of them have ever come to pass, you might like look in the mirror. Because prophecy is catalyzed through faith. Are you with me? So why am I sharing this with you? Because when we minister, oftentimes people don't understand what's ex- what is exactly happening. So when you call them out and you say, for instance, hey, I see you as a nurse, and they're not a nurse, they go, oh, that's not a good word. I'm not a nurse. And they don't know to actually attach their faith to it. Sometimes, well, I can say more than sometimes, oftentimes the Lord calls things out of you that you've never thought about yourself because he wants to do more than you ask or think. And then you go, I never asked that or thought that, so it can't be the Lord. I'm like, maybe it's the Lord because it's you haven't asked or thought it. Uh, what I'm getting at is sometimes the Lord prophesies to you things you've never prayed. And then you go, well, that can't be the Lord. And why is that important that you know this teaching? Because my people perish for lack of knowledge. And what I'm getting at is if you don't know that's the will of the Lord for your life, then you don't catalyze it with faith and you walk away thinking, well, that was a bad word. And let me just tell you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, don't, don't despise prophetic utterances. That it, it, it starts out by saying, uh, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophetic utterances, examine everything carefully and hold fast to what is good. 1 Corinthians 14 says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. So let me be very clear. You have a responsibility to get before the Lord and say to the Lord, is this from you? So I'm not saying you should wholesale believe everything that someone says to you especially if your spirit doesn't bear witness or someone gives you a negative prophetic word. By the way, I would not receive a negative prophetic word. People come up to me over the years and say, I saw you in a car wreck. I said, yeah, no, that wasn't me. That was a, some fallen angel that looked like me, but it wasn't me. Because why? Because I don't want to add faith to somebody's curse over my life. So I'm saying, I don't want you to wholesale believe every prophetic word you get. I do want you to test it and, and hold fast to what is good. And by the way, sometimes the prophetic words you get are partly the Lord. <laughs> because I've worked with prophetic people for a long time. They get a good prophetic word and they decide to like spruce it up a little bit. <laughs> I don't mean they intentionally spruce it up. I, I, let me say this. Nobody on our team would ever do that, I believe. But it does happen that you get a prophetic word and then you add to it what you think it might mean. And let me tell you, there are three parts to prophetic ministry. There's revelation, what did God say? There's interpretation, what does it mean? And there's application, what should I do about it? And we tell the prophetic people all the time, even ourselves, you're responsible for the first part, revelation. If you don't have the interpretation, stop talking. But... Having done this for a long time, I can tell you that there's a lot of pressure when you give somebody a word and they go, you know, that's that. 
Not from earth. You know, look. And there's pressure to fix it or explain it. And and that's all fine if you actually do understand what you're saying. But if you don't, it's okay to leave it be a mystery. Because we prophesy in part, and part of prophesying in part means that you might be giving part one that doesn't make sense, and someone else gives part two a few months later to the same person, and a few months later, someone gives them part three, and now the puzzles fit together, and they go, oh my gosh, I, I get completely what it is, and you go mess it up by giving your interpretation. I remember we were in Morningstar. I tell the same stories, even though I have lots of new ones, but these stories are like foundational in our thinking. We were at Morningstar, and they were doing a, a large prophetic conference, which, by the way, we love. Rick Joyner, Steve Thompson, all those guys, Larry Randolph. Those guys, are, those guys taught us about prophetic ministry. And so we were there, and then there was breakout sessions. There was like 3,000 in the conference, and there was breakout sessions of about 70 people. So I was in a breakout session. Danny was actually with me. He was saved at the time. Not sure if he is now, but he was then. No, he's saved. Barely. (laughs) So we were in this uh, session, and they were teaching us how to judge prophetic words. And so we would give three prophetic words to people, and then they would bring the 70 people, and then they would bring the people up one at a time, and they, they had a recorder, so they're recording, uh, writing down the prophetic words. And they were asking the person, like, what does that word mean to you? And what does that word mean to you? Well, that, what does that word mean to you? And, um, and the, uh, so we were going through this, you know, we did this one person, and then you had, uh, and, and then the next person, and the third person. And when we were all done prophesying, and the, we were judging the prophetic words, this young gal was up there, and and we were, you know, she was talking about like, well, this word meant this to me and this word meant this to me. And this guy stands up in the back and he yells, you have a yellow shirt on. And she had a yellow shirt on. And she, the lady falls down on the ground and she starts wailing. And then he goes, yellow's the color of the sun. And he does this whole thing on the color yellow. And uh, anyway, so... It took like five minutes to get this lady off the ground. She was just wailing. So the uh, moderator gets her off the ground and says, what just happened? And she said, I have a severely autistic son. And I told the Lord, I'm going to this conference. And if you're going to heal my son, tell me, have someone tell me I have a yellow shirt on. The entire prophetic word was, you have a yellow shirt on. It had nothing to do with the sun, the color yellow, or anything else that young man made up in the back there. But can you imagine telling someone, I just feel like the Lord told me you have a yellow shirt on. I I have to tell you, I know that pressure of doing something that doesn't make sense. Like, you have a yellow shirt on. Yeah, Mr. Obvious. And, And it's a great example. The guy had a profound word. The word is, you have a yellow shirt on. But in front of 70 people, saying something that stupid (laughs) makes you feel like you should fix it. You should make it sound spiritual. 
And what I'm getting at is oftentimes prophecies are, they get off. This is why I'm saying you need to judge prophecy, but just because the piece of it's wrong doesn't mean it's all wrong. Because sometimes people add their stuff because they get nervous or they, they think it means something else. Are you following me? Um, let's see if there's anything else I want to add to this. Um, prophecy is about revealing secrets of people's hearts. I, I used to think uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, if their ungifted or, under, uh, ungifted or uh, unbeliever enters your congregation and you prophesy over him, it says he'll be, he'll be called to account by all. It says something else too. I haven't read this thing for a long time. It says, if you prophesy an unbeliever, ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and he falls on his face to worship God and declares that God is certainly among you. This is the fruit of prophetic ministry. That he is... He's convicted by all. It says he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. I used to think that the secrets of his heart were his sin. And consequently, when we were built in the early days, they used to call people sin out. This is really a lot of fun. <laughs> I never saw them fall on their face and, give <laughs> and worship God. I saw them scream. I saw them run out. I saw them never want to see me again. But I never saw any fruit that this man had. And one day I was reading the scripture and looking up some of the words in the Greek. And the word secret is also the word treasure. And I was thinking about 1 Samuel um, chapter 9 where Samuel meets, uh, where Samuel meets Saul who is going to be King Saul. And he's looking for his donkeys. Saul's looking for his donkeys. And he runs into Samuel the prophet. And the Lord says to Samuel, there's coming a young man. He's looking for donkeys. You're going to tell him his donkeys are found. Then you're going to anoint him king. So Samuel, Saul ends up at Samuel's house, not knowing that Samuel is the prophet. And he says, hey, we're, we're looking for a prophet here. We heard there's a prophet in this city. And Samuel says, I'm the prophet. And by the way, the donkeys you went to look for have been found. Saul didn't even tell him he's looking for donkeys. He goes, the donkeys that you're looking for have been found. But I want you to wait. I want you to stay with me till tomorrow morning. Because tomorrow morning, I'm going to tell you all that's in your heart. For aren't you the one that all of Israel is waiting on? And, Samuel, and Saul says, I don't know why you're talking to me like this. I'm from the smallest tribe. And I'm from the smallest family in the smallest tribe. I have no idea why you're talking to me like this. 1 Samuel 10, next chapter, it's morning. Remember Samuel said, wait till tomorrow morning. For tomorrow morning, I'm going to tell you all that's in your heart. And Samuel meets Saul early in the morning, and he anoints him with oil, and he says, you're the king. God has anointed you to be king, ruler of his people. And then he said to this to him, he said, listen, I want you, Saul, I want you to go out to this place over to the Oak of Debar and there's going to be some prophets coming down from the mountains. And what's going to happen is, is that when you encounter the prophets, 
you're going to be changed into another man. And the Bible says that Saul did as Samuel had told him. And he went to the Oka Tabar. And when he came into the presence of the prophets, he ripped all his clothes off. That's Old Testament for he got excited. <laughs> Certainly glad I'm not an Old Testament prophet, especially at this age. I turn the lights off before I go to bed, my own wife. He ripped all his clothes off and he prophesied with the prophets. Um, I want to point out just a couple of things. The first thing I want to point out is that Samuel said to Saul, I'm going to tell you what's in your heart. Here's the challenge. Saul doesn't know what's in his own heart. Like, the secrets of his heart will be revealed. You would think to everybody else. But in Saul's case, the secrets of his heart had to be revealed to him because his low self-esteem, being born in the wrong family, am I speaking to anybody in here? Being born in the wrong family, being born, being in the smallest family, having small, small, small in your mind, you have no idea you're called to be a king. And so Samuel anoints him king, and Saul has no idea. Samuel says the day before, I'm going to tell you what you already, what's already in your heart. Like there are things your heart knows that your head does not know. But the second thing that I think is equally as powerful is that when Saul, when Samuel anoints Saul king, I like to say it this way, he anoints he has the right word, but for the wrong guy. Because Samuel, because Saul has to become another man to fulfill the prophetic word. And I'd like to point out that oftentimes prophetic culture catalyzes the prophetic word in you. And I see people that are running around with prophecies they believe in. But how many know when Saul found his people, he was changing the man he needed to be so that he could fulfill the prophetic word. Without the company of prophets, Saul could not be the man he needed to be to actually fulfill his divine word. And by the way, if you know the story of Saul, it didn't really go well because he does become king. He's actually a pretty good king in the beginning. He's courageous and in the, in the early days, he's obedient. He's incredibly humble. But he gets bitter with David. And he becomes embittered. And he becomes demonized and suspicious. And little by little, he becomes schizophrenic. And he chases David for 14 years trying to kill him. Really interesting. The Lord's beautiful grace in Saul's life is still evident because as Saul is trying to kill David, three times the Lord sends the prophets again to him that he met at the Oak of the Bar. And every time he encounters the prophets, he rips his clothes and prophesies with the prophets. Isn't it funny that every time Saul's with the people he's supposed to be with, he's the man he's supposed to be. You know, we say, we say have you ever said this about your son or daughter? He just got in with the wrong crowd. I'd like to point out it's more than that. It's not just being with the wrong crowd. It's being with the right crowd 
that actually catalyzes your prophetic word in your life. So, this is a good word, actually. I'm going to tell you, uh, just give you a couple of testimonies. And, um, about 23 years ago, I was in Hawaii, in YWAM in Hawaii. And there was um, a couple uh, there that I was ministering to. There was like 60, 50, 60 people in the, in the class. And um, I was teaching on prophecy. And there was a couple that were, looked very depressed. And I asked the YWAM base leader, I said, what is, you know, you're there for five days, so you, you're like with these people for like 30 hours. Long class. I'm like, what's up with those people? And they said, oh, their three-year-old or four-year-old son died um, right before they came to YWAM. And they're just distraught. They haven't been able to have children. Their son was a miracle son, miracle child, and they're just completely distraught and told me their story. And I'm like, hmm. Well, that's really sad. So anyway, uh, we got to about the last day, I think it's Thursday or Friday of class. And the Lord, and I was ministering to some people and the Lord's like, I want you to have them stand up. So I had them stand up and um, the Lord gave me this word. You're going to have twin daughters. The Lord's going to give you twin daughters. He's going, everything that you lost, you're going to gain. Your, your three-year-old son or four, whatever he was, is in heaven but you are going to receive two daughters in the place of your son, and they're going to be twins. Well, I haven't heard anything about that. And two years ago, I went to Alaska, and this lady excitedly comes up to me, and she said, you, you probably don't remember me. I <laughs> know I don't. <laughs> she said, 22 years ago, we were in Kona, Hawaii, and we had lost our son. I was like... You know how the story's kind of ringing a bell, but you still don't remember the pieces? And she said, you had a stand-up, my husband and I, and you prophesied. And I said, I prophesied you were going to have twin daughters. She said, yep. And she brought these two girls up, and she goes, here they are. She said... We got, we got pregnant, we, got, we knew we were pregnant six weeks after you prophesied over us, and, uh, and the girls came up and hugged me, and I said, you should tithe to me. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> I'll tell you about one more that was kind of fun. We, were, um, we, we used to stay here till midnight, no, one in the morning. And there'd be people lined up on lines during the renewal. And uh, you guys know the Toronto outpouring? And, uh, and so, you know, we were here a, a long time at night. And uh, I, there was, so there was people lined up on lines, probably about, you know, five, 600 people. And I went out those doors to go to the restroom. And as I went out, there was a lady on the, la the last, there was a per the last person in the, in the line, the front row. As I went out, I went out the doors and the Lord said, go back and tell her her child's going to live and not die. And I'm like, child live or not die? Okay. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> do the deeds you did at first. What would your younger man tell you? <laughs> He'd say, just do whatever the Lord tells you. So I came back in and I said, hey, I was going to go to the restroom. I don't know what this means to you, but the Lord said, your, your child's going to live and not die. And she fell on the floor screaming. I'm like, that was good. I went to the restroom, I came back, 
And she said, uh, she's waiting for me, of course, in tears. And she said, uh, hey, I had to go. You know, a man has to go. Nature calls, you got to do what nature does. You know what I'm saying? So I came back in and she said, I had a sonogram today and my baby's dead. And my doctor's going to do a, a, a DNC, is that what they call them? On, on Monday. I said, whoa. Well, I, I had no idea you were pregnant, so the Lord says your baby's going to live and not die. Anyway, the next week, she couldn't wait to see Sunday. She comes running up to me. She said, do you remember me? I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I won't forget you. She said, I went back to the doctor. They did it. I demanded another sonogram. My doctor argued with me and said, I'm very sorry. This happens to a lot of women, you know. They think their babies are alive. And she said, oh, no, no. She said, the Lord told me my baby's alive. <laughs> anyway, she said, I went around and around with the doctor. And the doctor finally said, fine. You're going to have to pay for another sonogram. She's like, I'll pay for one. And they did another sonogram. And that baby was alive and not dead. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. How important is it that we prophesy? I'll, I'll finish with this last thought. When we prophesy, what's actually happening? Well, when we prophesy, what makes it a prophecy isn't that you sound like, I don't know, Orson Welles, or you know, you shake, or you shut up, Baba Yeda, or any of those things. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've been with four different groups of people, man. We did it all kinds of different ways. You can shake, you did, Baba Yeda, we did that. <laughs> we used to yell, and the Lord says. I figured out the more you have to say the Lord says, it probably isn't. I mean, those are all, you know, it's all fun. I, I actually like, you know, actually, I, I like drama. You probably figured that out, right? <laughs> I, I like it all. It, it doesn't work, you know, in Rayleigh's, you know? You can, you shamba, yeah, ba, ba, you know, pretty soon security comes and you're, you're giving your prophetic word in the back of a police car, you know? So, so in here, it's all fun. I, I like it. You know, I, I have been with so many different prophetic movements, and we've been with so many different prophetic movements. I, I mean, I can like, I can work, I can, it doesn't offend me. It's, it's kind of fun. But none of that makes it a prophecy. Or even using a scripture. That doesn't make it a prophecy. What makes it a prophecy is that on, let's pretend your words are read. Right? It's a metaphor. When I speak, my words are red. But if it's a prophecy, on the red is blue. And blue is grace. And what is grace? Grace isn't just undeserved favor. Grace is the operational power of God. And grace makes the red happen. You can sound holy, but if you don't have blue on the red, it ain't a prophecy. Are you with me? The only thing that makes it a prophecy is there blue on the red? I, I, I've been with people, and I have been those people. Have you ever got really nervous, and you give the craziest, like, delivery? But if the Lord's in it, there's blue on the red. You can be nervous. You can say it the wrong way. But if there's blue on the red, that's what makes it a prophecy. That the grace of the Lord is on that prophetic word. And grace makes the word happen. Are you with me?
So your delivery is kind of important depending on where you're at. Maybe not so much in this room, but, you know, yeah. Don't embarrass the Lord. <laughs> Actually, don't think he really cares, I've noticed. Um, I have a, a few prophetic words. Is, is there a duke in here? Okay, I'm going to give the word anyway, even if there isn't, because we have such a large audience. I feel like Duke, the Lord gave me this word uh, while we were worshiping. I feel like Duke is going to have a deliverance ministry. Huh? Is there a Duke? Is your name Duke? Well, dude, what are you waiting for? <laughs> yep, that's it. Well, tonight your name is Duke. We're going to stay with that. I feel like the Lord told me that he's giving Duke a deliverance ministry. And that, that there, would literally be, there would literally be hundreds of people delivered, but not in the circles that we run in. That the Lord's going to open up new circles to you, a new uh, a sphere of people, group of people, kind of people, and I saw you ministering deliverance in places Christians aren't normally invited. And um, I saw you using different language for deliverance. Like the Lord's doing a cleansing. Like uh, the Lord's, and I, I feel like the Lord's going to give you, you know, wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Like uh, the doors open and the Lord's like, tell them I'm going to do this to them. You're like, Lord, what's that? And they're like, I'm going to deliver them, but they need this language. And so the Lord's going to allow you to change the language not the anointing, not the call, but he's going to allow you to change the language for the people he's sending you to because he's sending you, this is a metaphor, to the Babylonians like he sent Daniel. And Daniel had to learn the language, he had to learn the literature, and he had to learn the history. And so the Lord's going to make you relevant to people that the church goes, those people are, no. In fact, you know, if Dan, I bet you, I, I, let me say this, I don't think Daniel in the Bible could have become an usher in anybody's church. I mean, he was called the chief magician. And he changed his name to the god of Nebuchadnezzar. But he was a secret agent disguised as a magician. But he actually got into places that believers couldn't get into. And he transformed Babylon and Persia. And the Lord's going to, it's a metaphor now, the Lord's going to put you with people and you're going to transform Babylon. He's going to open the door to you and by the way, like the phone call you're going to get, not this Friday, but next Friday, is going to open the door. And you're going to go, I'm not going to do that. And then you're going to be, oh, wait a second, that crazy prophet told me this thing. That's the people. And the people that you would choose isn't the people God's choosing. I want to say that the people that are calling on you, have, you have no interest in them. But the Lord has interest in them. So because this, this is why this word's important, because you wouldn't answer the call if you, if you, if that door opened, because that's not your people. But the Lord said, it's my people. I'm sending you there. And I want to say one more thing. The purity of your heart is the reason why God has entrusted you with these people. And God said to Ezekiel, I'm going to put you, I'm going to make you a prophet to a stiff-necked, stubborn people who have a hard head. But then the Lord said to Ezekiel, but I'm going to make your head harder than their head. That's you. You have a soft heart and a hard head. That's a good word.
Um, I'll have, let's see, I had the other ones right here. I wish we could cut to commercial. Nope, <laughs> oh, that's the wrong one. Oh, here's another one. Um, is there a Laura Lynn in here? A Laura Lynn? Okay, I'm going to give this word anyway because we have a very large audience. I saw Laura Lynn, I saw peace to your storm, deliverance to your house, and many will be delivered as they come into your house because Isaiah 61 is written on the doorpost of your house. The oppressed are becoming freedom fighters. And um, I, I feel like, uh, Laura Lynn, I feel like there is a storm over your house. It's been there for like seven or eight years. It kind of comes and goes. And, uh, and the Lord says, uh, today I'm sitting in your boat and I'm telling that storm to shut up and sit down. And that storm is never going to come in your house again. And, and not only is that storm not going to come in your house, but there is going to be a mighty rushing wind in your house. And that wind is going to be the wind of healing and the wind of deliverance. A um, couple more things. Um, this is the, the Lord told me uh, that this is the day of vindication. That there are people who have been falsely accused, cheated out of money, spouses cheated, betrayed, and gaslighted. If that's you, stand up. I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm also going to pray for the people that are on our on campus online. The Lord told me this is a day of vindication. Okay, I want you to put your hands out as a sign of, I receive this, and I, I give up, Lord. I receive this. Now... I felt like the Lord gave me a qualification just a minute ago, and that is, you have to forgive. See these people wronged you? I felt like, you want to catalyze this? Here's part of the prophetic word. This is part of the prophetic word. There's some prophetic, like this is an exhortation. You have to forgive, and you have to stop trying to fix it yourself. You get that? Okay, for those on our online campus, same. So I'm going to pray for you right now, and the Lord's going to release vindication. We're going to hear a whole bunch of stories in the next couple of months of things that have been 10 years in court, uh, five years haven't had your children back, lies told about you, crazy stuff, husband who comes back and says, would you take me back? These are things that are going to happen in the next 90 days. So Lord, I release this prophetic word of vindication for people falsely accused, cheated out of money, spouses cheated, betrayed, and gaslighted. I release, Lord, vindication, and I pray, Lord, that you make yourself a warrior, and you are a judge. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 says that the, that the Ancient of Days sat in the judgment seat and passed judgment in favor of the saints of the highest one. And I see the Lord sitting as a judge, passing judgment in your favor, and uh, I see uh, contracts against you canceled, I see lawsuits against you canceled. I see um, children that believed the other spouse with lies uh, coming to truth. I see families reconciled. I see husband coming home. I see this lawsuit with a, uh, this like, almost like class action lawsuit against you, like other people weren't involved in it, that the Lord's like, no, no. Today, I pass judgment and in fact, it's been to two courts already. And the Lord's like, I'm the Supreme Court judge of heaven. And I said, no. 
and this is, this is to be canceled. You lost in the prior two courts, and the Lord goes, you're going to win. You're going to win next month because I have decreed that this is to be over in Jesus' name. Amen. You can give it up for those folks. Um, okay, I'm just going to um, prophesy over a few people. Is that okay? Are you guys bored? No. I wouldn't care if you are, but... Yeah, so, um, sir, would you stand, please? What's your name? Liam. Your name's Liam? Liam, Liam where are you from? Sydney, Australia. Oh, that's a good place to be from. I'm glad you're here. Um, the Lord said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. And I saw a spirit of reconciliation on you. And I saw you um, building bridges between people. Um, I saw you building bridges against people who are at odds with each other, like, the Hatfields and the McCoys, like, they're, like, like they are legends for being against one another. And I saw you reconciling them. I saw a, a, almost like a spirit of diplomacy on you in which you can hear both sides of the story and help people hear the other person's heart. There's something like glue. You're like glue. Like you glue the hearts of people together. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18 says, well, 17 says, uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things can new. The next verse says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself by not counting his trespasses against them. The next verse says, and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation as if God was begging through us, be reconciled with God. And God is just going to use you as an ambassador of reconciliation and to people you don't even know yet. And you're going to get so famous for it that people are going to call you God's arbitrator. You're going to be God's arbitrator. They're going to even get you involved in countries that can't get along. And I, I, I'm blessed with God's doing in you. It's a big thing. I see this really big thing happening in you. And the Lord said, don't tell me I can't do it. I feel the Lord rebuking you. Like, don't tell me I can't do it. Because I'm going to do this. I'm going to amaze you. And all the Lord's asking you is, would you believe in the impossible? So I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a good word. Would you stand up? What's your name? Yeah, you're a chick. Where are you from? Germany. Germany. Oh, that's a good place too. I saw a movement coming out of you. I saw the Red River. Somebody preached on a Red River today. Oh, Haley did. I saw a red river of blood coming out of you. And I saw, I saw uh, healing and salvation coming out of you for your country. And, uh, and I, I saw this, uh, I saw gatherings at your house that become uh, stadiums. Uh, I saw an anointing on you that was bigger than your ability to articulate. Like, um, well, I don't know if it's exactly like this, but the person that comes to my mind is like Catherine Kuhlman, who you may not know, but you should Google her. Uh, don't believe Wikipedia. But there's an anointing on you. Like uh, Catherine Kuhlman wasn't the best Bible teacher, but there was an, a powerful mantle on her life. And people would just come in her presence and they would jump out of wheelchairs and throw down their, their, uh, their crutches. They would throw down their crutches. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you're supposed to do that, but I just thought it was coincidental. But uh, 
And I, I, and I believe that there is a healing, uh, 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 not just a healing ministry, there's like a miracle workers ministry. First Corinthians 12 says that there are actually workers of miracles. Like it's actually like an office worker of miracles. And I believe that Germany is going to turn upside down because of the anointing that's on your life. I'm blessed with God's doing you in Jesus' name. You're right there in blue. What's your name? My name is Will. Will? Are you from America? I'm from Jacksonville. Oh, good. There's an American in the room. That's encouraging. <laughs> that's so good. Um, there is a genius in you. There's an innovative, inventive genius in you. And the Lord said, I'm going to unlock your mind. I'm going to unlock your mind. And what happens tomorrow and the next three days, the Lord's going to unlock your mind. He's going to do these things in dreams, but it's about thinking outside of the finite box that you've been put in because the Lord's given you a genius mind. And there's an inventor and an innovator inside of you. You know, um, I love Elon Musk, but he doesn't know the Lord. And uh, even though he's brilliant, he thinks inside of the finite. The Lord's going to open up the infinite to you. And um, I'm going I'm to tell you one thing the Lord gave me. This wasn't for you, but it's going to be for you now. The Lord told me that, uh, this is uh, seven years ago. The Lord told me that, that the next, the future, the energy, the future energy of the world was magnetism. That magnetism was going to be the energy of the future. It isn't going to be gasoline. It's not going to be solar. It's going to be magnetism. And I believe the Lord wants to open up people to a secret that he has kept for this generation in a new energy. And somehow, yeah, I don't know all about that, but I just bless, <laughs> you know, us smart people need to hang out together. <laughs> I bless that in you in Jesus' name. I pray that you receive it. I pray that the, your inventions, your innovation, uh, the wisdom that you have, the insights you get will be greater than your education, greater than your ability to study, even though you ought to. And uh, you should do your part, but the Lord's going to open up your mind and you're going to invent things that no one's ever thought about. And the Lord's going to give you secrets about energy. You know, I'm not talking about like new age energy or anything, to be clear, because we're... <laughs> <laughs> we're streaming. You never know what people say. He said energy. I'm talking about like energy, like energy that powers things. And so I bless that in you, in Jesus' name. Okay. Uh, somebody right over here. Did you get a car accident, a blue car? Um, I, you haven't fully recovered. It happened a while ago. Side effects of it. Is anybody right there been in a car accident in a blue car and there's side effects you're still dealing with? Would you stand? If, don't come up to me later because I'm not going to pray for you if you embarrass me. <laughs> Okay, no, that's not it, but I bless you. Thank you for being bold and standing. Is somebody else? Yes. I'm sorry? Uh huh. And did you have a blue car? And were you in an accident in that car? Yes. 
Okay, and you were right there. And do you have lingering problems from that accident? Yes, you have from still? Okay, that lady right there, yeah, you're, yes. Why don't you stand up? What is your name? Nancy, Nancy the Lord's going to give you a new ministry. And you're going to pray for her, and she's going to get well. Okay, going to start right there. And... Uh, you guys stay standing once she gets healed, because I have more for you, for both of you, for both y'all. All y'all. What's your name? Your dude. Jake. Stand up, Jake. Is that your woman? It is. Hi, woman. What's your name? Sophia. Oh, Sophia, why don't you stand too? Where are you guys from? We live here. You live here? Oh, listen to this. People coming to church, you live here. Wow, it's a whole new level of life right here. Well, I saw you as a builder. Saw you building things. Saw you designing things. I saw uh, you uh, building things and designing things. But I saw you, uh, the Lord giving you a passion for neighborhoods. I saw you rebuilding neighborhoods. I saw you bringing... um, you know when they say, like, don't choose the best house in a bad neighborhood? You're going to do that. <laughs> You're going to choose the best house in a bad neighborhood. And the realtor's going to go, I wouldn't buy this house. And you're like, I'm supposed to. And then he's going to say, this neighborhood's terrible. And you're like, yeah, it's my job to recover this neighborhood. And I believe, like, I believe the Lord has given you an anointing, both of you, to heal the hearts of people so healed that it changes a neighborhood. And what you learn over the next seven years is going to open the door for the government to pay you for what you're about to do. Like, you're going to have a ministry to HUD. You know what HUD is? Housing and Urban Development. You're going to meet those guys. They're going to hear about what you're doing. And they're going to be, how do you do that? Can we give you a grant to do it in bigger spaces? So I, I anoint both of you in Jesus' name. I release an anointing to restore neighborhoods in Jesus' name. The hearts of people that actually change poverty to prosperity. Mm, I, and, right, and Lord, I just uh, like this a prince and a princess. Whew. Send your hands to them. Prince and princess. Yeah, you, you should start calling each other prince and princess. No, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. You should call yourself. Are you going to do this or are you yes, just laughing I at me? I'm going to do it. You shouldn't laugh at the prophet. She's all in. Trust me. She's all in? She's all in. Are you all in? Absolutely. Okay. So what are you going to call her? She's princess. Prince. Very good. Okay. I bless the prince and the princess. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Is there someone here right is there someone right here from Iceland? Is there somebody here from Iceland? You're like, I wouldn't move there. <laughs> anybody from Iceland? Is there anybody in here from Iceland? No, oh, that was a bad word of knowledge. <laughs> I'm gonna give it anyway because there's people online. So there's nobody here from Iceland, right? You're not gonna stand up later and come up and go, I was afraid, I didn't remember I'm from Iceland. 
I can't even tell you how many freaking times that happens. I believe that there is a great revival coming to Iceland. And by the way, do you know that Iceland was voted the most, um, the best place in the world to live? Yeah. Well, it's going to get better. You know, 30 students from Iceland came here. Like, there was nobody left in Iceland. They came here and went to school ministry. And I bless that Iceland in 2024 is going to have an outbreak of the Lord. It's going to, listen to this, listen to this. It's even better. This will be a miracle. It's going to start from the government. It's going to work its way into the community. And I pray, God, that a revivalist would come into government and that would actually spread revival all through Iceland. Now, if you know anything about Iceland, that would be a great miracle. And we just bless them with a miracle in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. What are you standing up for? I bless you in Jesus' name. Yes. Good. Eyes to see. What's your name? Oh, I'll never try to pronounce that name. I don't give prophecies to names I can't pronounce. No, seriously, stand up. Okay, don't tell me you're from America. I know you're not. Where are you from? Brazil. Brazil? Oh. I love Brazil. We're going there soon. Brazil. Hmm. I saw you were through Bible open, and I saw, like, uh, light coming out of the Bible uh, I, uh, Ephesians 1, the Lord wants to give you a spirit of revelation that he would open up the truth of the word to you in a way that um, few people know. Like the mantle that's on Bill Johnson for, for revelation is going to be on you. And I'll see you teaching and preaching. What do you do right now? I'm a pastor. You're a pastor. Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> But here's the prof- prophetic part. Like, Brazil's going to open up to you. Stadiums are going to open up to you. Churches are going to open up to you. Movement's going to open up to you. The Lord's going to give you revelation about glory. He's going to give you revelation about identity. He's going to give you revelation about prosperity. Um, he's going to give you revelation, uh, revelation about nobility. These are all things coming to you out of the scripture. You're going to see things you've never seen before. You're going to preach things no one's ever preached in Brazil before, or very few have. And I believe there's a mantle on you. I saw the Lord put a crown on your head. Something about uh, uh, um, royalty, friends tell friends secrets. The secret things belong to the Lord. The thing revealed belong to us and our families forever. Um, First John, no, I'm sorry, John 15 says that if you abide in me, my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. I no longer call you slave, I call you friends, because slaves do not know what his master is doing, but friends, uh, but all things I've heard from the Father, I make known to you. So you're moving from, you know, you're moving into a new relationship with the Lord, a friendship relationship with the Lord. He's going to tell you his secrets. That's a good word right there. You guys, what are you guys? You can stand up. Are you together? You looked together. <laughs> where are you guys from? California. From where? Ontario. Ontario? Well, you're coming here, right? I'm just kind of busy. Yeah, maybe. That's what you think. <laughs> you know what the Lord told me? The Lord told me that he, he told me yesterday, he said, I'm sending you reinforcements. And you, I, I believe you're going to be reinforcing us. Wow. Yeah, I'm glad you're visiting. <laughs> Well, you might think you're visiting. (laughs) Welcome to your new home. 
On a serious note, I do believe you should pray about moving here. I think there's something happening in you. As you know, we talked about uh, Saul uh, uh, finding his people. Like, these are your people. Like, I, I pray for the Lord to um, bond you with your people and that this would be a time of accelerated wealth in your life that he would accelerate wealth in your life, that he accelerate healing in your life, he accelerate restoration in your life, has something to do with your family, something bigger than you, a legacy coming out of you, restored back to you. There's a kind of a reconciliation happening around, uh, well, anyway, this, uh, there's a big crowd. So like, I feel like the Lord is restoring things that you've been praying for for a long time. And, um, and I feel like there's a legacy of prosperity coming out of you that is breaking up generational poverty in your lives. And the Lord said, um, Deuteronomy 8.18 says, I'm going to give you the power to make wealth. It's going to confirm I have a covenant with you. Your family's going to be shocked at what happens to you over the next three years. They're going to be shocked. They're going to be shocked at what happens to you. You're like, how, how are you prospering? You're like, I don't know. This something shifted. The wind shifted that was against me. It's suddenly for me. Uh, I couldn't make anything happen. Now I've got a gold finger. I don't even know what's, you know what's going on with me. And both of you, you're going to be so anointed. You're going to talk in your bedroom three years from now, and you're going to say that prophet was right. A prophet was right. God started prospering us the month after he prophesied to us. So I bless you in Jesus' name. Are you guys done? Did you get healed? You got healed? Okay, that's good. Oh, uh, well, so what are, you're in blue. What's your name? Nancy. Nancy, the Lord's weaponizing your compassion. Yes. Saw the Lord weaponizing your compassion. This morning I had this uh, picture in my mind. I'll call it a vision. But I just picture my mind of people breaking out weeping just spontaneously. You know, not, not menopause or menopause, but just <laughs> spontaneously breaking out in the store weeping, not knowing why. And it's like the compassion of the Lord is on them. And I believe the compassion of the Lord is on you. And I believe that you, I, I see you um, um, weeping over uh, picture, um, pictures in your mind of people you've never met. And you're like, I don't know who this person is, but I see this person in a striped shirt. I see this African-American in a striped shirt. I don't know who he is. And the Lord's just like, you're going to get, you're going to be praying for people before you even meet them. And when you see them in the store or in, um, 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 in, the, in the theater, you're going to be like, I've been praying for this man for three months. I weep over this man. And that Lord, the compassion of the Lord is so on you. He's going to weaponize your compassion, and you're going to lead so many people to Christ and see broken people become whole people in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And uh, the, you were in a car wreck. Uh, what's your name? Indiana. Say it. Indiana. Okay. That's a good name. I like that name. Um, the Lord's put safety around you, around, you you're around your car, around your house, around your friends, around your family, like you uh, are very safe. The Lord's assigned to angels, Psalms 91, to take care of you, to make sure that that never happens again. And there's like, you're so safe that you can take great risk. And that's why the Lord's going to send you around the world. He'll send you around the world to touch the poor and the broken. I saw you in Mozambique. I saw you in South Africa. I saw you in India. And I believe the Lord is... Uh, he is uh, 
given you such courage. And you know how they say, oh, certain parts of certain countries are so demonic and there's witch doctors there. You're like, you eat witch, witch doctors for breakfast. You're like, I am not afraid of witch doctors. Like, I have the protection of the Lord. Witch doctors don't touch me. And witch doctors are afraid of you. And I see people running away from you. Like demonic people running from you. And they're like, yeah, they run from me. I'm, I'm a bad woman in the Lord. <laughs> and I, I bless what the Lord's going to do with you. Because um, you are a, a woman of great faith and power. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.